Hey everybody, this is Maddie Kay, and this is The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. You stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his toenails at his desk. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Okay, everyone, I'm back. Uh, this is Maddie Kay, and I'm here with my brother. Who's Paul, held Paul, Paul. and uh, like myself, <clears throat> I think we both held a variety of crappy jobs <laughs> that we had during, yeah. maybe not crappy, but certainly like not lifeguarding at the local beach, you know. <laughs> no, I mean not like, yeah, I mean stuff stuff you'd rather not do. I mean, but I mean I think we both know, and you've said this before with uh, John and others that I mean there's there's a huge difference I'm pretty sure between you know something you know that that has an expiration date yes you know? uh and then you're going to go to something else like go to school or you move on with whatever it is you're going to do and then uh versus you know people working in jobs like that that don't have an expiration date that you know they're going to be doing that job or something similar for you know the foreseeable future it's just uh mentally taxing i would, I would guess well we were kind of that reminds me i i did a podcast earlier today with john and we were I, I came across this statistic in Fortune magazine that only 16% of American jobs are quote-unquote good jobs, meaning like there's growth opportunity, um, you know, you're going to make more than minimum wage. And it was, uh, not to get into it too much again, but it was in healthcare, management, business and financial operations, computer and mathematics, and architecture and engineering. Nowhere do I see Grant Steele type job uh, in any of those categories. I frankly find that appalling. I think um, that does a vast disservice to, to Grant Steele. Well, uh, we were just sort of uh, talking about how, like, you know, you can take people who are making eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year or more. I mean, John claims to know people who make five hundred thousand dollars a year who are really miserable at their jobs, and they like. Oh, yeah. Attend mindfulness seminars and, you know, consult crystallologists or whatever they call them. And it's it does sort of bespeak in a certain sense of a, of a huge amount of like being spoiled. And then there are, there are people who like if they could make twenty five dollars an hour, like they're not worried about personal fulfillment. It's like I have to pay my rent. I have to feed my kids. I have to get health care. Like, it's just this total uh, inversion of, like, you know, I'm making hundred grand a year, but I'm totally miserable and I hate my job and this and that, versus somebody who might be, like, a recent immigrant who's just like, thank God I have a job, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess it comes down to what you think reasonable expectations are. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I say this as somebody who has, you know, a good job and, you know, but also has, you know, married with a kid and, you know, it, it just sort of realized that, you know, it, at least in some parts of the country that a hundred grand does not go as far as it once did. Um, and, you know, I can, I can understand if people, you know, for whatever reason end up, you know, in a job that they thought was going to be fulfilling, but turns out not to be. Um, and then they're trapped, you know, through with various expenses, student loans and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I mean, I can, I, I see what you're saying, but, and it, you know, and I, I just, you know, it, I'm not really sure where you draw the line between reasonable and unreasonable expectations. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, I get what you're saying. I think, uh, and, and it's definitely the case that, you know, there, there seem to be occupations that are in businesses that are designed to, in essence, get some of, you know, some of the wealth that people with high paying jobs have high paying jobs that make them unhappy have yeah right? so the, the idea is they're looking for people who are unhappy in their jobs but have the disposable income to spend on you know mindfulness seminars and that kind of thing 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, whether that's good, bad, indifferent, you know, is probably isn't for me to say, but you know, I, but yeah, I, I, but I know what you mean. It's, um, yeah, it's sometimes, you know, I look at people and say, you know, like, what is it you, <laughs> yeah. what is it you want that you reasonably can expect to have? Um, um well, I think to be a YouTube um, star, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that is something that, uh, well, because when I was doing this research, this thing You're popped. Like there anyway, so, you know, totally, <laughs> totally. I mean, I figured you'll quit your job inside two weeks. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, and quit it spectacular. Like, tell everyone to go f themselves, and I'm going to oh, be a star, yeah. and you're going to see <laughs> some that. And then yeah, yeah, definitely. Two months later, come back and be like, yeah, that didn't work out. So <laughs> good, you know. Well, there, this little thing popped up about a six-year-old earning $11 million a year on YouTube. And for like, I don't know how true that is or whatever, but people who are out there looking at these, like, you know, Forbes magazine and whatnot, and they're trying to figure out how to make more money and, you know, this and that. And then that pops up and must just, like, drive certain people nuts who are just like, you know, this, this kid's making $11 million a year on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, that that claim sounds suspect to me. <laughs> but uh, generally, when you read a little bit into it, it's like, okay, this is not exactly it. But some people do make a lot yeah, of money off of YouTube. Gamers. I mean, I read this the other day, an article about, well, like two weeks ago, an article about not just professional gamers, but people who are agents for professional gamers. Yeah, which was not yeah. really a thing up until you know, fairly recently because gamers didn't need agents for obvious reasons. And, and these are people in the U.S. I mean, people have been going to South Korea for a while to make money uh, as pro gamers, but these are people living in the United States and they uh, and they make money. Um, I mean, some you know, clear seven figures uh, play video games. Um, and it's, you know... It's a lot of it's a lot more work than it might sound when they kind of walk you through a typical day because a lot of your the, the reason you make money is you're online all the time and playing a game and you have followers. Um, you know, I think it's on Twitch who will you know watch you play video games, but you got to actually be online and, and interacting with them and you know, you know, chatting with them while you do whatever it is you do I and mean, that kind of thing. But still, I mean, you know, you are making a million dollars playing video. That is that it is the most utterly ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I, I just it, it it really makes me shudder to like think there are people watching other people play video games. Like you've managed to take the biggest slacker thing ever and make it even more lazy. Like it's it's really pathetic. Well, and I'm trying to think who bought Twitch. Some huge corporation owns Twitch. I mean, maybe Amazon, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure they do. It's um. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a huge business. I know, I know. I mean, but really I mean... So the, the viewership's there, and then the sponsorship money, you know, appeared, and then, of course, there are agents and managers to help the players you know, navigate that world. Um, and, yeah, so... Um, yeah, but I, I can understand, especially someone, you know, who, you know, labored for years in, you know, getting a degree. <laughs> right, yeah. To do something meaningful and worthwhile, like study diseases and things like that. Like, you know, yeah, and you just, or there are even, you know, you hear about PhDs in fields, you know, in various fields in the humanities, particularly who have you know, difficulty getting jobs. I mean, there's a story, you know, somebody read recently about a professor who's homeless. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, in California. And, um, you know, it's, it seems like if you have a PhD, you ought not be homeless. Yeah. You, yeah. That's reasonable to me. Uh, and, you know, I, which is not to say that, you know, someone who smokes weed all day and plays video games should be homeless, but, a millionaire, I don't know. That, yeah, that's... yeah. Well, uh, certainly the uh, the thing we were going to get into was uh, your time at, at Beaver Run in Breckenridge. So, backstory, uh, Paul lived in Breckenridge, uh, and then two years later, I lived in the same town. I never had the company housing experience, but you had the what i tell people is a john steinbeck grapes of wrath type uh type uh experience out there a little bit i mean you know look there are both people you know sort of in you know i with similar backgrounds i guess you'd say you know i just finished college and you know i ultimately went on to grad school and people who are going to do that or go do something else um and then there are people who you know are working there because they need a job and it, there's also the, this kind of group which I was of which I was ignorant that you know they 
a group of people who make money, um, make their living working at different in different resort towns. So, you know, there's some they'll work at beach towns resorts during the summer, work at ski resort towns during the winter, um, and you know they, they tend to have skills. I mean, they're managers, they cook, they you know kind of bartenders or whatever. Um, so yeah, you but the you know housing is scarce in places like that. Now, from what I read, it's only gotten gotten worse. Um, you know, because there's not a lot. I mean, I suspect there's very little incentive to build housing for uh, workers. Um, so, yeah, different companies out there uh, offer housing. And um, Beaver Run Resort, which was, is part of Breckenridge, I don't know, Ski Resort, I don't know what the relationship is between them and the ski area, but um, they, uh, yeah, have, you know, they, they own, a, at least at the time, owned a lodge, which, you know, served food, had some restaurants and bars, and you know, it was right by the uh, lift at Peak Nine of Breckenridge, and um, they had company housing. And so, and I lived in it for a while. And you know what? You know, you do is you get a certain amount deducted from your paycheck. Um, I mean, it really does have a company store kind of set up to it. Um, and it, you could live in an apartment. And the apartment setup was there was a one bedroom apartment, four people to an apartment, and. They're typically what happened. I mean, they didn't, you know, there weren't any rules really about how you divided up the space, but typically, you know, two people would sleep in the bedroom, one would sleep in the living room, and one would sleep in the walk-in closet that was off the bedroom. Yeah. Um, and the closet <clears throat> was the space to which everyone aspired um, <laughs> because it was the only way. It was the only privacy you had, and the closet was just wide enough for a mattress. I mean, it was pretty amazing. It was almost as if it were constructed. Yeah for that purpose. I'm not saying it was, but, yeah. um, and so, and you know, yeah, it was like a very small bedroom, but it was yours. You know, you had a door, which yeah. you know, was a novelty. And so and people really would say, they're like, Oh dude, you got the closet. You know, it was like, living large. I got the closet. Like, Whoa, you know, closet guy, you know, that was, it's, uh, it's a way to like get the girl home from the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, Yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I am not aware of any, any gentlemen who are successful with that <laughs> maybe there was one who's to say but um but yeah so uh you know but you get thrown in with you know different people and you know there's some and you know you don't have a choice in the matter obviously and uh most of the time i mean i think that there were some people who were out there with friends who sometimes were able to live together or something but in any case yeah there were uh there was a guy named Kevin who, when I first moved in there, this guy Kevin who was in housekeeping, this guy Mike who was uh, a cook, um, and so did dude Bill. And I, I honestly don't remember what his job was, but um, B- Bill did not last long because he, Kevin basically threatened him. Um, the thing with, with Kevin, I mean, Bill's a nice enough guy, kind of soft spoken and Kevin and Mike were both just, I mean, they were, they were both pieces of work. Um, and we, you know, I, I witnessed him watch TV one day for like 14 hours straight. And, uh, because busy, you know, the thing is early in the ski season, you have this money's tight for a while because you have to get out there early enough to find a place to live. But, uh, things are slow at that time of year because it's October. The ski season's not really gotten going, et cetera. Yeah. So October, early November, whatever it was. And, um, so, you know, you, you kind of know that you just have to have to deal with it. And um, Kevin, yeah, Kevin and Michael pieces of work. I mean, it's, you know, they used to drink a lot, watch a lot of TV. They didn't really do anything else. They weren't, you know, particularly well educated or anything like that. Um, and one day, um, Kevin had been talking up how he'd been working all this overtime and he was going to get this big check. Big checks coming. Um, the big so check. check. <laughs> the big check. The big check. I don't know how much it was. I don't, I don't remember what he was aiming for, but it was big, right? And he kept talking about how his big checks coming. And so, right. you know, and the thing is, like, Kevin, you're going to be living with us. I mean, what, you know, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's not like you're going to make your down payment on your Porsche. So. Right. <laughs> or that, the house. <laughs> or the right, condo. I mean, you know, good, good for you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But, uh, you know. Anyway, so the, his uh, his expectations were dashed. Let's put it that way. The check did not... Uh, the amount, uh, the dollar amount on the check did not uh, equal what he thought it should for whatever reason. I, I tend to trust the corporation's math more than I trust Kevin's. <laughs> uh, you no, know, I'm not sure he's a. Yeah, who knows? But anyway, so he 
responded to this, um, and Kevin was somewhat prone to rash solutions to, to problems. Sure. And um, and I'll actually I'll preface this by saying the reason he um, he threatened Bill, that he got so upset, is that he saw a guy living on our floor who he Kevin claims was a cop. Um, who knows? Maybe he was. I, I honestly don't know. Um, Why would a cop be living in the company housing at Beaver Run? <laughs> I, I find this to be right. I mean, I, he might have he had some convoluted explanation, but whether this guy had some association with law enforcement or whatever. Right. And it, so the guy, I don't know if the guy came into our place and was, or saw Kevin because he was talking to Bill or what. But anyway, Kevin held Bill responsible for This guy became aware of in Kevin's mind, this law enforcement person became aware of Kevin's presence because of Bill. And I don't remember exactly why. And in any case, Bill was not even kind of responsible for this. But um, Kevin, of course, is freaking out. He's probably drunk. And he was, um, and his claim was that he had a, the reason he was so um, stressed about this is because he had a warrant out for his arrest. Sure. From something that had happened in, in Pueblo where he was from. And so, Anyway, he, uh, so he freaked out and then, you know, more or less threatened Bill who moved out. Um, and, uh, so he, Kevin's not a particularly stable person. Uh, and so anyway, this check comes in, doesn't meet his expectations. He reacts to this, this is like 10 in the morning by, uh, drinking probably from what else, the equivalent of probably three, four shots of vodka. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Decides to go down and quit his job. <laughs> Good. Spectacular fashion, I think. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't witness that. I didn't even witness him drinking. Um, I think some, someone else, Mike, told me about that. But I did witness him saying, like, I'm going to go downstairs and talk to him. Uh, and, and I even said, like, Kevin, you sure? Because the thing is, your, your job out there and your housing were basically the same thing. So, right. you know, if you quit your job, you lost your housing, too. And getting another place to live was uh, was tough. Getting another job wasn't that hard. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to talk to him. Okay, you know, and um, yeah. so Kevin goes down, he quits his job. Of course, he's got to be out of housing. They gave, gave you like 24, 48 hours to get out, whatever it was. And uh, in the meantime, and I, the, the, oh, I can't remember this entire sequence of events, but if I remember right, he, um, right, what, did, what was it that happened? Yes, okay, he, he decided, you know, he gets his paycheck, and I think he cashed it. Um, and then he went out that night with a lady friend of his and some of her friends. And, you know, this is like after you've been drinking all day and carrying on. And so they went out uh, to some of the bars at Breckenridge. And, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, except because I didn't witness it. But I do know the next morning. Um, I'll, you know, I'm getting ready for work. It's, you know, like six something in the morning. I get a call and, uh, and I, you know, answer the phone. And of course it's the day before caller ID was, you know, uh, ubiquitous. And so I know who it was. And I pick up the phone and I hear, uh, I hear Paul. <laughs> Kevin. And, uh, cause Kevin hadn't come home the night before. Uh, yeah. Kevin. And I said, are you okay, man? What's going on? And, uh, and he said, uh, Paul, I'm a hustler, but I got hustled. <laughs> and, um, later on, by way of explanation, I believe he, he told me something to the effect of that he, that I guess he had a bunch of money with him and that his lady friend kept ordering drinks for her and some other people and putting them on his tab. That um, That is unconscionable. <laughs> I mean... Look, that's really uncool. You shouldn't do that. Um, I can't say I'm shocked by that. And yeah. I was not shocked at the time. And, you know, and who knows? I mean, this is him telling the, telling the story, so who knows? But anyway, so he, th- that's where most of his money went. Um, and then I know a few days later, I mean, that was, you know, he moved out of our apartment, but I think he was camped out in somebody else's apartment for a while, which he wasn't supposed to be. Um, and then, um, ultimately he set off a, uh, a fire alarm. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the story. <laughs> at which point, um, he was escorted away, uh, by the local law enforcement community. Um, and yeah, eventually, and I saw him, um, was, I saw him a couple months later and he, you know, he seemed like he was doing okay. And he said he was, 
He said he got a new job, whatever. You know, I don't know. But you know, glad to see that he was all right. I mean, I was also glad I didn't live with him anymore. Um, and the thing is, he was 34, too. That's the other thing. Like, see, that, that's, yeah, that's what I love. Like, okay, so he's working this job. Um, and I'll, I'll just put in the background, just about every job in Breckenridge gives you a bonus check for staying a certain amount of time because the population is so transient. Like they really want to keep you, especially yeah, if you're halfway decent. Difficult at all. I mean, no, it and it's not, no. It was the housing that was the hard part. Right, yeah. right. And um, so I love that the check was less than, less than his expectations, which were probably totally unreasonable to begin with. So he solves the problem by quitting the job. So he's guaranteeing himself no money and no housing from the job. Then pulls a fire alarm <laughs> as he's sort of, I don't know where that all fits in, but it's a good kind of, you know, coupe de grace. Just so I'm going to pull a fire alarm. How do you like that? I, I, well, right. I mean, it's sort of, he clearly reached the limits of rational decision making. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and plus, I mean, First of all, it's illegal to pull to <laughs> for no reason, right? I mean, that's that's a crime, but also trespass because he's not supposed to be on the property. And you know, so um, and in the mean, oh, he'd also told us in the meantime because we ran into him while he was you know uh, kind of squatting this other guy's apartment, and he, uh, you know, we asked him where he'd been living, and he told us he'd been camped out in the woods with a big fire going <laughs> at night, and uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> Why all this endless bullshit is so I mean, funny? But at the same time, like I didn't know where you know. And Mike was said, "Well, I think he's camped out in someone's apartment." But I'm like, "Oh, we don't really want to know because we don't want to be responsible for anything." Yeah, that this idiot does, and so yeah, he. Uh, I'm camped out in the woods with a big fire. So, um, yeah, and then Mike ended up leaving. From what I heard, um, I mean, I moved out of that place because a room came open in the house. Um, some co-workers of mine one co-worker actually and I then I you know met her friends who lived there they were, they were great guys uh, she was very nice as well and uh, so I you know lived there but from what I heard about about Mike he um, just kind of I kind of pieced this together from things I heard from a couple of different people but one of his co-workers another cook um, who you know we skied with a few times he's a nice guy he uh, said that you know Mike pulled a no-show one day, which was really unusual. Like Mike would, would, you know, come to work probably still hammered from the night before, um, you know, like would, you know, probably hung over, but he would show up. And the thing is, the sad thing is Mike was actually pretty good at his job, I think. I mean, he was a reason, from what everybody said, he was a reasonably good cook. Yeah. And he seemed to know his business. And, you know, when he was sober, he was a pretty nice guy, but, you know, just, he had problems. And uh, he was, um, and prone to, you know, stupid arguments and being annoying. And he... Um, when I moved out, or sorry, when Bill and Kevin moved out, they were replaced by these two gentlemen uh, from Mexico. Everisto, and I forget the other guy's name. I want to say it. I might have been Pablo, actually, but anyway, good guys. Uh, and I'm not. I don't know who replaced me when I moved out, but the long and short of it is, apparently, uh, Mike pulled this no-show after getting into an altercation with one or both of these other gentlemen because he was pulling this usual like he would drink four forties of you know malt liquor in a night by the time he got halfway through the fourth one didn't always finish the fourth one you know you can imagine and so he would be playing uh you know just the same two annoying ace of bass and tony braxton over, <laughs> over again. that and, that is all like this guy was a redneck you would describe him as that in my less sensitive days, yes. <laughs> um, and, and he listens to Ace of Bass and Tony Braxton? Yeah, I wasn't really sure if he was the sort of target demographic for those artists, but you know, who knows, maybe. I don't, um, but yeah, that, those are the two things he was really into, and he just played them over and over and over again. And, and oh, sorry, he did, I don't know if he even owned a full Ace of Bass CD. He just played that song, I Saw the Sign. Oh, my The only God. reason I know that exists is because I heard it about a trillion times from him and uh and he would do this like while leaving the lights on and not going to bed and, and other guys you know these other guys worked there had worked in the kitchen i think used to have to get up like five in the morning you know yeah so you know, try to respect that um it's a choice you know and so 
Anyway, they got into, finally, I think one of them had just had it, and they got into some argument, and it might have turned into a fight. I'm not sure. Um, I think it came close to that. Maybe it actually turned into a fight. So anyway, Mike bailed. He just left. And the thing is, he bailed something like two, maybe three weeks at most before we were supposed to get our end-of-the-season bonus check, and which was sizable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was... It was, I mean, that, it, you know, economically, that was just one of the worst decisions. And, uh, yeah, so he flamed out in kind of spectacular fashion. Um, well, there was a guy, that reminds me, a, a guy that I worked with, Ken Zimbelman. And <laughs> he, uh, you know, it, it was weird out there. If you were like 22, 23, 24, you know, like you were describing, like people had, you know, graduated from college, they were bumming around. Like, I lived in a house on Moonstone Drive with um, this guy Justin, this guy Rob, and Brad, another guy Matt, and this guy Chris. And we were kind of the five who were there. And then there were other people who were kind of in and out. Um, But we were all basically of the same ilk, had graduated college and were just... But if if people I ran into who were over the age of 25, 26, like... Eventually, there was some backstory, like a marriage that went bad, a kid stashed somewhere. Uh, I mean, something going, you know, something like not catastrophic, but it was like you heard a lot of that idea of like, uh, you know, getting a fresh start, right? Kind of thing. And there was one guy we worked with, Don Tuttle, who was a great guy. He was he was older. He had sold his medical supply business. He had a lot of money. He and his wife rented a condo and he was just driving you know something to do and he was probably in his 50s i actually kept in touch with him for a bit uh very smart guy really you know just very personable and then there was ken zimbelman who at the time was 43 and he was living in a motel for a while with these other two people and ken was just one of those like horatio alger like one day I'm going to own that mountain. He would say that. He was a bus driver like me. Like, you know, I was just driving a bus for the season. Ken Ken's out there to remake himself, reinvent himself. Yeah. And he was so full of like, like you could never get the straight story on what had led up to this moment or this time when he moved to Colorado. Like he was from Oklahoma and this and that. Like, who knows? And he was this total like eager beaver like to the point where it was just like even the managers were like give it a rest like <laughs> one time he he said something about part we had to learn how to parallel park the bus and nobody could really do it you just had to do it sort of passively to pass the test and ken was saying i'm, I'm gonna get that down i'm gonna get you know and da 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 and one of the managers was like you know ken you don't have to like you know be perfect at everything and he goes Oh, you don't know how I was raised. And we were all in a van together. And the way he said it, like, there was just silence after that. Because it was like, I don't want to know how you were raised. Like, I kind of do, but you don't want to ask. Really? Yeah, I kind of want to know. So long and short, after about two months of him, like, being, you know, trying to be employee of the month, he just, like, he fell in the parking lot. He hurt his wrist. He was in a cast. He was living with the same two people who I knew, this guy and this girl, who were a couple. They had bought a trailer. Ken was living there. And then, like a thief in the night, he's just he gone. in the trailer with them? Yeah, with the expectation he was going to pay for some of it. Well, yeah. But that never happened. And then, like, like a thief in the night, he was just gone. He just, like stop coming to work and he he moved out of Breckenridge and like they didn't know where he was they were like his stuff man was just gone and i was like what you never heard they were like dude seriously we came home from work his stuff was gone he's gone and like that was it so and that that is really not uncommon out there like people just come and go and it's like i remember saying something to the manager about it i was like I can't believe he just up and left. And she had been the manager there for like 20 years. And she goes, that happens constantly. She's like, people come and go. She's like, it's a really transient population. She's like, I, I got a figure on some of my workforce just disappearing. And I was like, oh, because 
I mean, that job I had was fairly responsible where like, yeah. you know, you could be randomly drug tested and you had to kind of keep your, you know, you couldn't have a beard. You had to keep your hair cut and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, too, right? And I had to have a CDL, had to get that. I had to, uh, but you also got a free pass through your job. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not uncommon out there. A lot of lot of places offer a free pass. Um, you know what I'm remembering though was the argument you were recounting between Kevin and Mike about, and, and I believe they nearly came to blows on how yeah. to stop a runaway tractor trailer. Yes, I, I believe this was one of the days of them uh, marathon TV watching. Uh, yeah, and oh yeah, yeah, they, they got into a yelling match. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I did not and do not have an informed opinion about this, but, you know, but they were, each one of them was adamant. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine either one of them was ever a truck driver or anything. But That's what I was going to say. Like, they weren't even truck drivers. Not then. I mean, maybe at some point in their lives. Who knows? But, I mean, Mike was 31, and I think, and Kevin, like I said, was 34, but uh, I don't believe so. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe they drove a truck at some point, some, whatever. But, oh, yeah, they were... They had extremely uh, strongly held opinions <laughs> off a runaway truck, and um, oh yeah, it was uh, that was amazing. And one I, of my I remember f- talking about a U bolt or a J bolt. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I, I think you said one of them was a U and your C bolt. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was, yeah, that was how they they uh, ended it really because oh yeah, man, one of them was up on, on his feet and just oh yeah. <laughs> I have found base. I mean, I'm just really guys. I mean, okay. Uh, I, I so, have. Yeah, I mean, you, it, was, it was it was a bit of a strange existence. Uh, it was good. I'm glad it went out there. It's, uh, that that part was. Uh, well, I found know, that underbelly, you know? people of a, a certain kind of economic and educational level, like they really get into arguments about things that have no resolution and couldn't matter less. But they just have to be right. And we'll argue these ridiculous points where it's like, it doesn't, who cares? Like, it's, you know, yeah, it's bizarre. I'm not sure it really depends that much on sort of education level because I've seen pretty well-educated people do the same thing. But but there's a personality type associated with that for sure. I mean, you just, you know. Well, I remember this guy when I worked on Law & Order SVU where I was a grip. This guy... Uh, I'll call him Henry. He he would sit like I was a non-union guy, so I was kind of sat stuck a lot of times listening to Henry. And like Henry did not have a conversation with you; he just talked at you. Yeah, like it was it was not any kind of give and take. And he uh, got a lot of his information from Howard Stern, <laughs> which was even better. Like he sort of treated this as a news source, Howard Stern. And I'll just have to put in the background with this one thing he said. I mean, there was a lot. Uh, and he had an opinion on a lot of things. Oh. And his knowledge of any of it was uh, it didn't was irrelevant to his opinion. I mean, it didn't matter. Why would, why would it matter? Yes. Right. So, and just to put in the background, he was a, a person of color. Uh, I don't know if you'd describe him as... He was not African-American, but he was, a, he was maybe like Dominican or something like that. Mm. And... He's talking, and he, he grew up in New Jersey, lived in New Jersey, and I think he'd pretty much lived in the same place his whole life. And he's, Halloween was coming up. So Henry's like, you know, the thing I don't understand, he would often preface his pontifications with, you know, the thing I don't get, <laughs> and be like, yeah. endless streams of just bullshit. And he's like, uh, he goes, you know, the thing is, like, Halloween's coming up, and, like, there's all these people around, you know, all these Muslims who live around me, and I'm like, they're probably not even Muslims, but fine, whatever. Yeah, right. uh, he was he was the best boy's cousin, so the best boy did the hiring, so I wasn't really in a position to call Hector out, I'm sorry, uh, Henry, out yeah. on too much, and um, so, hey, uh, Tom, can you edit out the Hector? So, um... I'll just restart that. So Henry was the best boy's cousin who, and the best boy did all the hiring. So I wasn't really going to dispute him on anything, nor did I really care. But 
He's like, yeah, all these, you know, Muslims and blah. And, you know, they, like, have all their kids dressing up for Halloween. And, like, the thing I don't get is, like, okay, like, everything in Islam is the opposite of Christianity. Like, no, it isn't. So there we are with strike two. And (laughs) then he's, like, and the thing is, like, why are they letting their kids dress up on Halloween if they don't even, like, believe in Christianity? It's like, are you out of your mind? Like, first of all, Halloween... Huh? Where do you start? Yeah. Like, Halloween's not a Christian holiday, for one. (laughs) Secondly, everything they believe is not the opposite of Christianity. Like, no knowledge of what Muslims believe, or probably even Christians really believe. And probably these people were not even Muslims (laughs) who lived around him. Yeah. You know, or maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I, it was just so like, you know, and, and then he would just harp on these things where I'm like, why do you care? Like, what does it matter how they dress up on Halloween? Like, what, it just, it would be endless. So that sort of mentality is like prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, though, I've also, I mean, I'm to transition a little bit. I mean, um, I mean, living in D.C. reminded me that, or I guess reminded me, yeah, that people, there are people for whatever reason get emotionally very attached to not just sort of worldviews or, you know, values or, you know, causes. Um, and that That's fine, but to facts, so, well, perceived facts. And if you tell them that that fact is, in fact, is not correct, they get really mad and personally offended. Like it becomes part of their uh, sort of make, just psychic makeup that a certain thing has to be true. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, if they just get, you know, we'll just get attached to a certain, uh, yeah, I- idea of how the world works. And if, you know, they're informed that that's wrong, then it's, you know, you might as well tell them Santa Claus doesn't exist. You know, it's, it really is. You know, it really has the same effect. It's but, probably yeah. along the lines of your reaction if someone calls Megadeth a death metal band. Did someone call them that? Like I, I I've just noticed the silence and <laughs> <laughs> probably who wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. I just want to know their name. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I just want to know their name, address, right. email, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, uh, do them a favor. Right, right, right. Just set them straight. Just set, so they don't embarrass themselves. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so that they didn't know what. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I know I gotta take my son to daycare and everything, but. <laughs> right. Well, no, I think Will Ferrell had a really good. Strangely enough, had it like when he was talking about the different characters he plays, like Ricky Bobby and Anchorman and whatnot. He said there's this like certain class of white man in this country who just feel they know everything like America is the greatest country in the world. And like they say it in such a way that like, like the earth is round. Like they just, they're so utterly confident and oblivious to everything that like, it just, nothing makes an impression on them. Like you could present them with every fact in the world and it would be no, you know, it's just irrelevant. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and it's, and if you disagree with them, you're an idiot and a bad person. And you're unpatriotic, and you're a Muslim, a terrorist-loving um, homosexual, probably. Pedophile. Pedophile. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you're just un-Ameri- yeah. You're un-American, which is worse than all of those other things, just to say you're un-American. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all right. In, in their mind, all. I give you, I give you, Roy Moore, nearly getting elected to the Senate in Alabama. Obviously, for a lot of those people, the pedophile accusations uh, kind of were were trumped, as I, not to pun, but um, by his devotion to the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, I would, you know, get my current occupation, I very well might have had to uh, to work for that gentleman. Oh God! <laughs> well, his staff probably. I mean. Oh God. You no, know, we don't typically don't i have three senators but typically we just work with their staffers and yeah yeah and i've worked with uh done some work for well jeff sessions uh now attorney general sessions uh staff when he was in the senate you know his staff were nice they were fine to work with they were nice enough people 
See, he's oh. one of those people. He's like one of those Will Ferrell people who's like, good people don't smoke marijuana. Like, he, he, like, I don't understand his logic behind that. I don't understand his philosophy. It's, it's a worldview. I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, my worldview is, is different enough where I'm just not even going to try to engage with it. And, you know, it's not. Well, it would be different if someone said, listen, I, I do not agree that marijuana should be legal because it is harmful to the brain. And I, I, I believe yeah. that the negative aspects outweigh the positive. Even if that, that's not really true, you know, they're putting it somewhat. They're not making it a moral crusade. No, it's an argument. And, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there are people who just don't have evidence-based worldviews, and I don't know. Yeah. As someone who tries to have one, I'm not really sure what to say to them. Right. I mean, if you think. And because it's not really subject to argument. I mean, if no. You really think that, you know, good people don't smoke marijuana, okay, well then. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is to that, you know. And if you presented them with some good people who smoke marijuana, they'll the answer will be, well, no, good people don't smoke marijuana, therefore they're not good people. And, right. Know, just, there's no way to disprove it as far as I can tell. So so what were you going to say about the uh, the facts thing? I think I interrupted all that. Uh, you were saying that some people like it it just doesn't like they they just become like adhered oh, yeah there are people yeah they get um extremely they, they get wedded to um certain facts and if it turns out that they're wrong they get very upset um and you know i i'm thinking the example i mean the one i remember because i sort of look at this carefully as you know part of my job years ago uh it was the whole wd in iraq thing right that you know there are a lot of people said you know iraq has you know weapons of mass destruction developing weapons of mass destruction and we, we need to do something about that uh and then there were people who you know said you know the thing we need to do is invade them um and later on you know it shown that iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction didn't really have didn't have any programs to speak of um and there are people who just get you know, there's people who I think responsibly have, you know, said, okay, I believed that, but that's wrong. Now we have to figure out why, you know, what went wrong, you know, and, you know, there's some blame to go around with the, the Intel community. A lot of the blame, I think, does not reside with the Intel community. I think they got unfairly blamed for a lot of it. But in any case, you know, there's a way to, you know, sort of do a, a post-mortem and figure out, you know, what happened, right? Um, because this was a widely held belief, it's true. Um, but then there are other people who just really don't want to accept that. And... To me, it's a, it's a fact, you know, and it's subject to evidence. But you know, there are people who just get they get very angry, like the fact because they believed, or at least said they believed, that Iraq had uh, had weapons of mass destruction, and you know, and by God, that means they did. Well, regardless of, you know, uh, regardless. And so that's what I mean. People just get very attached to that, and it's not, you know. I think um, so much of their worldview. And other things they believe, like about maybe, you know, the truth of the government or the Republican Party, and they put a lot of faith in George Bush, that all that is predicated on, or a lot of it is predicated on that fact. I, I think of it like the Galileo effect, like telling people that the Earth is not the center of the universe nearly got him executed because it just disrupts your whole worldview. Well, like, that's it. Yeah, there's a whole a worldview associated with that, and and kind of a moral part of it too. Too, like if you believe, you know, something else. I mean, not only do we disagree about the fact, but you're a bad person, right? Well, look and, at the Al Franken thing. I mean, that was really, really hard. I mean, for someone like me to accept. I mean, that was that was awful. I mean, like, I really like Al Franken. I think he does a lot of good things. Yeah, I mean, that's you know because of my current job, I can't comment too much on it. But but yeah, I mean, it was, but but you're, you're absolutely right. It, that's difficult because that's something you know you think you know the people i oppose do not that people so not something that right well i support you now i mean i i don't think it's it's you know whether you, you know his resigning was the right choice or not i mean I, i'm not it's not fair to equate what he did to say was like what harvey weinstein probably did or is alleged to have done you know what i mean they're not that's not the same thing but um but nevertheless i mean I, you can't be I'm not sure he can claim to be pure as a driven snow, which is probably something his supporters you know, might want, right? Because um, you'd rather support, you know, 
somebody who's you know quote unquote good rather than somebody who's not. And, right. Uh, yeah. Sure. Man, well, it's hard, hard to accept that, and I think you know. Um, well, look at the. We were talking about Roy Moore. I mean, it's like they were polling those people, saying, "Well, do you believe Harvey about Harvey Weinstein and Al Franken and, and and others in the media?" Well, yeah. Well, but you don't believe it about Roy Moore. No, it's different. Yeah, I mean, if they, this is the way know, that they, it is. If they don't, they don't. You know, and there were, um, you know, there were a lot. Of, but there, I mean, there were a lot of people who opposed Roy Moore for you know for reasons that had absolutely nothing to do. With oh yeah, own. yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. thing is, he only won his previous election by like ten points, I think, or something like that. Yeah, against a Democrat in Alabama, which is, you know, there because I, I do remember this. There were even people pointing before all those allegations. There was a debate. Um, among Democrats, um, you know, as to whether you know they, the party should put money into that race or not, because there are people who thought that you know even prior to those allegations that um, Jones had a chance, and yeah. then I think you know that they made the decision that once those allegations did come out, said yeah, more real truly is vulnerable now, you know, we'll commit to the, you know to fully supporting it. You know, first of all, who who gets banned from a mall? I've never even heard of that. Getting. I, Banned from a shopping mall. Yeah, the only debate about that seemed to be whether it was a formal ban or if it was something that was just kind of, you know, understood among. Well, the fact that it even came up, I mean, like, good lord, like, what do you? Ha- and then, and then the second one was hitting on the waitress at the Red Lobster. Oh, <laughs> the hostess, I should say, the at the Red Lobster. Like what? I mean, yeah. it's just. Too pathetic, you know. Yeah, get, sorry. Given the amount of time we have left, though, I should probably get on a couple other things. Yeah, uh, yeah. That you know, we talked about. I think uh, one of the things I did after uh, sort of just go chronologically. I mean, I think, and this points out a few things about DC, which I think. Uh, I mean, like one of the interesting things about your podcast is that I, I think that you know you get people from different lines of work, and you learn a lot about. And since a lot of people you interview are from New York, you know, you have worked in New York, you kind of learn about that. I don't know, sort of what it's like to work in that city. And DC yeah. has some similarities, but differences as well for obvious reasons. And, you know, I think, like, you know, I worked at a, a right-of-center think tank as a, an intern and then eventually a you know, research assistant. And, um, you know, one of the things I had to do was help set up meetings because um, that's your job. And so, um, and, you know, you have to go make sure, you know, we have really great event planners, but you have to make sure that the you know, room is set up properly, you have coffee and all the rest. Um and, you know, it, the thing is, you know, D.C.'s got, I mean, there are institutions that basically, you know, they have meetings all the time. That's basically what they did. Um, and, you know, you sort of learn. I mean, I, I've told people this, like interns, you know, they said that you should, you, I mean, you should go to meetings for a, a number of reasons. But one of them is, you know, even if you don't really care about the subject matter, is just sort of sociological. You just sort of observe how people act. And, you know, the phrase, the, the language they use and how they deal with people who are kind of rude or who interrupt. Because mm-hmm. um, even though they're, you know, supposed to be, you know, adults, they do that stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, but in this case, so we had this room set up. And the thing is, we'd had a series of meetings that were, were about defense planning. And this was, uh, you know, before the um, the second Bush administration came in. And uh, in fact, I think it was prior to that election. Um, and, you know, a series of meetings uh, that were about defense planning and what the, you know, defense budget should look like, you know, for the future. And, you know, which, of course, gets into these questions about, what is, you know, what kind of military do we want, what do we think the military has to do, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and, you know, this was aimed at, you know, sort of interested parties, but also donors because, you know, there were companies who gave money to the, this particular think tank. And, you know, there were... The sort of the crowd that was interested in this is kind of what you think, you know. It's pretty straight that they just kind of buttoned down. You know, a lot of people in their business suits, uniform. You know, there are uniform military personnel there. People like that, and um, so you know, we had this one particular meeting where uh, the night before, my boss, who is a pretty well known, he's not a household name, but you know, he's pretty well known in that world, said, "Oh, hey, by the way, tomorrow morning I have to do something, so you need to run this meeting." Right, and I said, oh, okay, and, you know, I was kind of nervous about it because I'm nobody of any importance at all, and, you know, I'm yeah. super older than me, and, you know, but, and, and in a sense, I have to tell them what to do. Yeah. But, you know, so anyway, we got the room, but, you know, it was no big thing. So anyway, you know, get the room ready. One of the things we had, to, I, we had to do was have a projector because somebody had a PowerPoint presentation because 
in, in DC, like many other places, you get powerpointed to death constantly. I mean, it's just yeah part of it. Yeah. And so um, we had to have our IT people set up anything to do with a computer. For whatever reason, they wouldn't let us do it. So, you know, I put in a request that morning. I'm looking around. There's no laptop. Um, and so I try to track down the person to, to whom I put in the request. Can't find her. And I had to go to her boss. And, you know, I hated to bother him, but I let him I'm sorry, but, you know. This, this is what happened. We have this meeting. We need a laptop. So anyway, she came down and, uh, you know, starts to kind of nervously setting up the laptop and the projector. And so ultimately I sit down and, you know, look around and there's, you know, the room is pretty well filled up. And I realized that the meeting's only going to start maybe six minutes late, which is not a big deal. And so I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm like, okay. And I start to say, you know, she finished setting up the laptop and projector and said, okay, so... I think we should get started. You know, my boss can't be here today, blah, blah, blah. And I start to introduce, you know, the first speaker. And you got to, you know, the, the person next to me is somebody from, like, a, a, a right of center think tank. A person to my right is a uniformed, I think he was in the Air Force, you know, this uh, higher-ranking gentleman. And then, and, you know, like I said, the crowd is pretty conservative. And then, right as I'm starting, the uh, young lady comes back and so I need to do something else. I said, okay, so just take a minute. And I said, okay, well, just going to need another minute. But then I started talking, and she, and from the, the angle where she was, I'm pretty sure everybody could see this. Um, she bent over to work on the projector, thereby displaying her thong underpants. <laughs> which, just to make it better, were white, and her clothes, like her shirt and pants were black yeah right yeah it, it yep. stood out like i mean it couldn't have been yeah much worse than it was and i'm sitting and there's this pause that i'm sure lasted maybe a second but seemed like a lot longer yeah and and i'm just sort of like okay and then, so then i guess i'll just ignore the obvious and you know start talking so then she left and, and the meeting went actually went quite well and my boss came in maybe like two-thirds of the way through it and just sat in the back. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have to do anything except introduce the speakers. And they all spoke and people, you know, engaged in the conversation. And it was good. And then, you know, my boss came up to me and he said, oh, yeah, that went really, it seems like that went really well. And I was like, yeah, well, listen to this. And I told him. And he just laughed at me. And I said, look, I, I mean, is there any, I don't know what the etiquette is for this. Is there anything I should have done? And he said, no. But, um yeah, you should have been like, hey, can you uh, tug your pants up? Your thong's showing. Yeah, yeah that seemed unwise. So, uh, yeah, that was just kind of like, you know, of all the things I kind of thought I would do with a master's degree, that was not one of them. Um, yeah, but, yeah, fair and, enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, and the film actually gets into some of this that did call uh, In the Loop is the best movie about DC I've ever seen. And it's, uh, it gets into a little bit of this, like, you know, um, when they show somebody from, uh, DOD, the Department of Defense, who's talking to his British counterparts and said that, you know, we, we want a hollow square set up and we politely request the presence of both carbonated and non-carbonated waters. And that's <laughs> the kind of crap you deal with, you know, as someone, you know, even if you, not an intern, just someone who's lower ranking than everybody else, you deal with stuff like that, you know, and that's... Uh, well, when people were, like, you know, working on films and things. I mean, really, if you're a part of the crew, you wanted to know what's the food situation. Like, are we getting a hot breakfast or what? Like, I mean, that's how, probably all anybody cared about. Yeah, like, like how's catering? Like, people would always ask me, like, "Oh, what are you working on?" What? What? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just got called to come down and do this. Like, you know, you're just like setting up lights and all this and that, and you know, like I never read the script for any of these things. Like, it just didn't involve me. I assume someone up, like, maybe the director of photography read the script, but, like, Someone you know. whose job it was, yeah. Well, that, well, that's, the, there's a scene in, I mean, like, I don't know why I remember this, but I think it's the first episode of Entourage where they say something, or one of the early ones where, you know, they say to the, you know, Vinny Chase, the, you know, the main character, they say, you know, well, you read the script in the last movie you did, and he's like, and he said, no, I didn't. Said, what do you mean you didn't? He said, no, I didn't even know who the killer was until I saw it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess, you know, it, if you don't need to know, then you don't. Well, it's very... Uh, and I was talking to Mike Aronson. He's a, he runs the board, the, the lighting board at a, for a show. I don't remember which one it is. But um, we were. T it struck me in the beginning how compartmentalized the film industry is. Like, you have grips, you have electrics, yeah. you have... And that, that's just, like, the shooting crew. 
Then you have the whole production crew. There's very few people involved from beginning to end, like editing and then, you know, like a lot of stuff I worked on, I never saw, you know, it was never finished or whatever it was. But I remember this, uh, occasionally it's like, you know, you'd get this message from production being like, oh, this is going to be an amazing experience and we're all going to really bond and be a family after this. And first of all, it was always like the kiss of death. Like it would end in rancor. And, you know. and secondly, I'm like, I tried to explain. Yeah. Well, I tried to explain this to a producer one time. Like you don't want me as your friend. I'm your employee. Like someone in my position could start to exploit that. Like, you know, showing up to work late or goofing around or, doing whatever like it's like you're paying me like i'm not looking for friends like this is a job and you know she was like oh well i mean i understood like her heart was kind of in the right place but i was kind of like you know i I would just like keep it professional just and that's what people expect and you're paying them because then it's like you know once we get to 12 hours we're now into overtime and then sometimes it would be like well can we just do one more setup and be like no well yeah we can but you're gonna pay us you know, we're into overtime now. Oh, yeah. but I thought, you know, it was like, yeah, but like, look, I'm not into your movie. I'm not into your project. Like, I'm not going to Sundance if it gets in there. So, no. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, you got to yeah, pay us. Well, yeah, so. exactly. I mean, you can do it if, you know. Yeah, and I don't mean to be like a work. jerk about it, but it's like, look, I mean, you know, you expect us all to be here on time, then don't be pushing us past the limit but uh yeah so i don't know it's it well and if you have time there's the uh scrapbook um ordeal yeah i mean well i like this story because it is a very definitive moment of crossing that line between like okay we're work colleagues we're friendly at work maybe we have drinks to Okay, this is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where I mean, I guess you know, where exactly the line is between personal and professional is probably never going to be decided definitively, right? But, right. Um, I mean, people have you know, debated this forever, and you know, I doubt it'll ever be resolved. But it's also one of these things. Like, I feel, I, I actually said once in my in my current job to. A, a senior manager who's no longer there said, you know, there was this discussion and I said, look, you know, I am, and there was something, I disagreed with her, but I said, look, I, I'm sympathetic to instances where you have to make rules that in effect say, don't be stupid, you right. know, because right. there, there are certain things like, you know, you figure you don't have to, you should not have to make rules about certain things, right? Um, you know, in, in Beijing, I am informed by a resident that, you know, there are signs um, in very odd places that say no shitting. Right. In English. Right. And you say, you know, okay, well, evidently there needs to be a sign. Right. Um, and this is one of those areas where, you know, you shouldn't have to lay out exactly, you know, you know, discuss this, don't discuss that. Or you think you, you wouldn't have to, but this kind of illustrates why you, that might be necessary, I guess. And, yeah, the, the, I was working for a government agency as a contractor, and the woman I worked for was quite nice, and I'm not, you know, trying to mock her because you know she was in a tough situation had a few kids and was i think fairly recently divorced or separated and um you know it was in a tough situation you know a single mom and you know with kids and and commuting you know yeah distance to work and all the rest um it was generally quite nice to me but yeah the um i occasionally hear her arguing because i sat right near her and it was a cubicle setup like you know a cube farm uh and we hear her arguing with her ex-husband um which would sometimes, you know, uh, culminate with her calling him a liar and slamming the phone down. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it seemed like that whole party was acrimonious. And, um, but she would also talk about scrapbooking. Um, she and one of my other coworkers were both really into scrapbooking. And at that, until that point in my life, I hadn't realized that scrapbooking was a, a phenomenon. I mean, I knew, obviously, people kept scrapbooks, but I didn't know that there was this kind of subculture surrounding it. Right. Um, point where there were stores that you know specialized in scrapbooking and i don't know if things like pinterest have kind of eclipsed that or or what i just don't know um but and, and incidentally the other co-worker who would sort of you know would 
she would try to differentiate her scrapbooking from our boss's scrapbooking by arguing in effect that what she did was cooler. Right. Uh, to me, I don't know. Once you've gone down the scrapbooking rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, you scrapbook or you don't. Right. Um, and she would say, you know, and, and she didn't, I, I don't know if think she had any kids or she was married, but she said, you know, when I scrapbook, I get a bottle of wine and I scrapbook. And I'm like, right, so you're drunk and you scrapbook. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> weeping. I mean, At some point, know, you're I mean, weeping. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I want to see your scrapbook after half that bottle's gone, but, you know, and, or whatever. But, uh, so anyway, I, this, so this other woman, you know, she was really into scrapbooking. And, you know, like I said, she probably didn't, you know, wasn't going out a lot or anything like that, given her situation. So, you know, that sort of thing that it is. But um, it, the thing where I, I think it crossed a line was when she brought it, and I didn't witness this, I just heard, heard from people who did, that she brought in uh, her scrapbook one day for whatever reason and was showing it to people. And there was a page open where it, to a photograph, which was her car with a bunch of luggage on top of it and in it, <laughs> in front of a house, and it said, "This." The caption was, "This is the day our daddy decided he didn't love us anymore." Oh Jesus! Yeah, and like, <laughs> man. So that was uh, that. That's what I heard because you know I, I, I said, "Well, I've heard about her scrapbook," and I said, "Now you haven't heard this." And then, uh, well, you know. Like, obviously, we are not children of divorce. I don't know a lot about the subject. But from what I've always heard, you the party line to the kids is this has nothing to do with you. We both still love you very much. Uh, and right. we and we still love each other. It's just, you know, we can't live together as mommy and daddy, husband and wife. Not the day daddy stopped loving us. Now you're dragging the kids into it. Yeah, that's what... Um... Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I witnessed this discussion where people, I mean, I was sitting next to them when people said, well, I know she's turning kids against her, their father and all that. And I just kind of said, like, I don't know any of the details. So, you know, who knows? I, I can't speak to who's on the right side of this. But right. typically, th that's my understanding. Yes, typically, they, that's unusual. Yeah. Took it that far, you know. Well, so, and then to bring it into work and show it to everyone. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this guy. Look, maybe this guy's a major league jackass. Who knows? I mean, I'm willing to take. Oh, I'm sure. Him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But still. But, but at the same time, look, I you know, like I write speeches for an admiral. I don't even know. Like, I'm not. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. We. That's just what we do, and we're not. None of us are here to be, you know, counselors, and you know that kind of. So, yeah, I mean, I just, like I said, I mean, she's in a tough situation. I feel bad, but I mean, and, and, and like the fact that she, you know, scrapbooks and even scrapbooks, things like that is one thing. I think bringing in it to show not just your coworkers, but your subordinates, right? Because she's right. higher up the totem pole than a bunch of us. Oh, um, wow. That adds a whole other layer. Yeah. Who's my boss? I mean, she oh, wasn't God. that high up, but still, she had a few people working under her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, you know. So, I mean, that's a really like. It's not like I can just say to somebody like, you know, look, Schmedley. Yeah. You know, don't don't want to see it. Not interested. Yeah, yeah. Lose the scrapbook. You know, you can't do that, right? And so, and I, I did like I said, I heard that story. Like, man, that's so. Yeah, that's lines being crossed, and you'd sort of think. I mean, for this particular age, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe the popular or a common view of government agencies is that people don't engage in behavior like that, but uh, they would be wrong. Well, they are, they're all human beings. I mean, it doesn't mean somebody's not a human being. Well, I remember I was telling this to, to Mike yesterday, the story, and he, before I got to the line, the caption, he was defending the woman because he's a very good guy. He said, well, you know, she just wants to show off her creativity. And Dad, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and then I told him the day Daddy stopped loving us. And then there's silence. And he goes, oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, this was not scrapbook of like, hey, look what I've drawn. Or my, no, 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 no. My that, kids did this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that is definitely uh, going leaps and bounds well, there's all these things when I do my research about like what to reveal, what not to reveal, you know, personal like medical information. My personal favorite, and I'll just end with this, <laughs> is telling people, why was I out yesterday? I had diarrhea. <laughs> and then I, I just say it and I leave it right. I had diarrhea because it's a word you can really hit. You know, you can really bite on. And then... Into the silence, I'll just say I, I made something 
bad to eat and I was on the toilet. And you, you want to know why I was out? I'm going to tell you why I was out. I, I have diarrhea. Or, or I, my variations are um, I have lice. Or, you know, something along those. I have body lice. Sometimes I like to put a little variation on it. You know, I have body lice or something like that. Look, you went down this road. I didn't, you know, the one who started with the we were yesterday, you know, not so hey. I had diarrhea. That's where I was. How do you like that? How do you like those apples? All right. No one's really going to quite. After that, I mean, for someone to. Even if that's false, oh no, nobody's gonna. It's no. really up in the ante for someone to call you out. They might. Yeah. No, no, they're not gonna call you out. I mean, especially like in a professional work environment, everybody like <laughs> bends over backwards to be polite and be so nice and so this. So when you drop a bomb like that, they're just like they don't really know what to say. You just you know, I had diarrhea. And uh, so I guess on that note, uh, we'll wrap it up. So um, thanks everybody for. For listening, and uh, we definitely have more stories, so we'll come back again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, take All it right. easy. Thanks a lot, Paul. I'll talk to you. Uh,